Hi guys, Tom here. Welcome back to the Cookie Jar Podcast. Today we are lucky enough to be joined by Sam Clapham, who is a club support officer for England Golf. We were lucky enough to be able to pick his brains on his role and his role in developing the game of golf and what he's doing around that. It's a really interesting pod to, for us to work out what's going on behind the scenes and at grassroots level to try and get people involved in the game. As always, if you want to get in touch, you can get hold of us on at Cookie Jar Golf on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we've loved getting some of your comments and questions and we do intend on addressing them in future pods. This isn't the one to be doing that, but please do keep rolling in. We really appreciate your feedback and I hope you enjoy getting an in-depth view into what goes on at England Golf. So uh, listen in and enjoy. Watch this. Hello and welcome back to the Cookie Jar podcast. Today I am delighted to be joined by Sam Clapham, who is the club support officer for England Golf. Welcome, Sam. Thank you for having me. Hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. How are we doing? Hi, Hi, Sam. As always, we are joined by Sam Williams. Hello. Cal Wing. Hello. Hi, Cal. And Bruce, again, can't be bothered to turn up. Law school. We're going to call Sam Clapham claps from now on because... The two Sams are going to make things slightly confusing, so we're going to call Sam William Sam and Sam Clapham Claps. So, Claps. Tom, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, so yeah, I'm the club support officer for England Golf. Um, I started playing golf with you, Tom Mills, about five, six years ago. We both started our golf journey as fairly average golfers and came down pretty quickly, still pretty average at times. But yeah, that's where we came to with our golf. Um, I've been working in sports development now for about 10 years. Uh, First started out in schools, working with P departments, uh, and then moved on to work for the RFU for the last eight years as a rugby development officer, which was awesome. Um, but then as my rugby career started to fall to one side, as injuries and age got in the way, um, golf became my main sport. And then an opportunity came up last year to start working with England Golf and grafted it with both hands and loving it. What a transition. What? Have you found it? Have you found that, like, I mean, totally different sports, but I suppose nature of the role similar. How's it, how's it been transitioning over the last few months? Yeah, so the role itself is really similar. I mean, the guys that are involved in golf and the guys that are involved in rugby, there's a lot of similarities. Um, But sports development, sports development. So going around talking to people about how clubs could be better, how we could improve our offer, how we could make a member's experience better. Similar conversations. um, But I think having the passion for golf now makes those conversations so much easier. Wow. So what was it that got you into the sort of sports development, that sort of side in the first place? Well, always been sporty. You know, I was that annoying kid at school that was just gagging for PE lessons, you know, turning up to every after school club going, always knew I was going to do something in sport. Good at lots of things, but expert at not very much. Correct. <laughs> Never found his specialty. Is that a bad thing? No, I think uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> what we should always do is bring guests onto the pod and then slate them within the first five minutes. Oh, I always think okay that's quite nice. Pals. Rounders, netball, what are we talking? <laughs> given, given half a chance, Cal. <laughs> you should see me in a netball skirt, bud, honestly. So you're always pretty good at sport. Yeah, so always been sporty. Never really wanted to go and do the whole nine to five office thing. So wanted to be involved in sport. Got the opportunity to get involved in sports development. Loved it. Um, love talking to people about sport, trying to get my passion across. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of the way I went and fell into it and so lucky to be involved in it. 
it's something that you know you get out of bed every day really excited to do when did you start playing golf then so what age and, and so when did it grip you like what point did it cease being just like a something you do occasionally to being like i want to do this for a living now yeah so classic i was a classic sort of society stag do golfer every now and then get get together with friends for years and years um but then as rugby became something that you know i was waking up on a monday morning feeling like i've been hit by a bus and you know getting to my late 20s early 30s it became a the, the sport that actually you know golf was the thing that I wanted to be doing more of um so and I was that and that that person that once I was into something grasp it with both hands as much as possible play any opportunity we can first handicap first handicap 25 respectable mm. Mm, yes what was your first club first club was Mentmore Golf Club which is sadly no longer with us I'm not sure if there's a correlation between Tom and I joining there and the demise shortly after memora we've never really gone to depth about memora they've had a shout out on the previous pods though, yeah we have yeah but what what happened was they right we we joined and maybe a year in that it folded oh yeah even it, maybe less than that but what they started doing i mean it was generally horrendous is they started throwing out these um these memberships you remember these five-year memberships you could buy for like three and a half grand and everyone was piling money into this uh for these five-year memberships and then the uh, the owner of it was like, okay, I've got all this uh, five year membership money. See ya. Just, I'm off. <laughs> just declared bankruptcy, and all these guys are like just dropped like three and a half, four grand on. I always think the sign of a struggling golf club is one that's going out with heavy cash calls for longer tenure with members, and and you know that's at all levels of golf. I mean, Lock Lomond probably <clears throat> one of the one of the biggest sort of um, parties on this one sent out huge ask for debentures off members, and then kind of. Very quickly, that that then got down valued. I think people got some money back. But well, the problem, the thing is, with all of those types of things, there are sort of short term money for not sort of long term gain. It's it's going to be it's going to dig them out of a hole, but it's not it's not good for them long term. If they even if they manage to survive that initial thing, but they uh, lots of people got screwed out of that, didn't they? Big all. time. It's not a sustainable business model, is it? Not at all. Going cap but, in um, hand every now and then. So we were actually Sam and I were actually skiing um, one year and. Uh, you got an email through, didn't you? You said to me, "Hey, have you seen uh, seen this email from Memo? We haven't got a fucking golf club anymore." And I was, it was literally out of the blue, wasn't it? Yeah. So we were there planning our sort of our, our round the next week. We got an email saying, "Yeah, the club's closed." But they had like nine hundred and fifty members. It was a, it was a bit of a shocker. Wasn't I think it? that's really sad, though. Actually, like you know, joking aside, you know, we we've talked about it a couple of times now with clubs closing and stuff. But that's properly annoying. And like, they were, you, they were, you don't see it happening with gyms without prior notice. You wouldn't expect. I don't know, your local, you know, gym like David Lloyd, if you're in the UK, if that means anything to you, just send you an email and say, FYI, we're closed. <laughs> don't turn up anymore. Yeah. Whereabouts in the country was this? Uh, so Buckinghamshire or the Hearts Bucks yeah, border? Hearts Bucks border. Yeah. yeah. Um, but do you know what the really interesting impact on Mentmore closure was? Is the impact it had on all the local clubs? Because all the membership just scattered within sort of yeah. two, three weeks. Everyone tried to find a new club. And, and lots of actually, so, so lots of... Clubs immediately kind of shut up shop. They were like, actually, I don't... Because it was like a 1,000 members. It was 950-odd members. Oh, yeah, loads, there. yeah. And they were like, you know, all dispersing within a few miles trying to join... Well, there's people club. like you two miscreants joining, I suppose. It's understandable from the clubs and they need to sort of maintain need, standards. Well, yeah, they, they, it was quite a, quite a grind, actually, trying to find somewhere good. And then where did you end up after that? So, yeah, we went from Mentmore and uh, joined Stocks Golf Club in Albury, just outside Tring. 
um, and still there at the moment now, although potentially in the process of uh, moving clubs to just around the corner to Ashridge Golf Club. Um, which Ashridge nice. is supposed to be pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's a cracking track. Really, really nice. Loads of really cool stuff going on with it as well. Um, hosting the uh, ladies amateur um, final qualifiers for the Open last year, um, which was awesome. And they've got some really nice practice facilities there. It's only 10 minutes up the road from me. Um, it's probably somewhere that when, when Mentor closed, if we'd been a bit more, uh, I think a bit did, more nouse about us. I think us. we did try, but I think we were a bit impatient. I think that was the problem. Yeah, two, 225 handicappers just desperate to play. <laughs> the idea of an interview and a playing interview. In, in our, of which don't in our, really work. Just in our royal and awesome trousers. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. I think we've got a button for that. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> so, 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 that was um, so then you obviously now um, have gone into uh, the club support officer for England Golf. Um, tell us a bit about that job. What does what it kind of entail? Yeah, so my, my job is essentially to look after the 109 golf clubs in uh, Berkshire, Buckinghamshire and Oxfordshire or BBNO if you're from the UK. Uh, so look after 109 clubs, um, loads and loads of different needs within club support in those in the area. Obviously, we've got clubs like well, really well-known clubs, like championship courses with like Woburn, places like that. And then we've got municipal nine-hole courses, which need different levels of support. So it's really varied. And what type of uh, challenges that, does that bring to you in terms of the sort of skill set you need to bring? Because obviously, it's, it's very different for the, the munis than it is from the, um, from the pretty established clubs. Yeah, I think, I think the real challenge is being able to go in and, and add value to a club, regardless of what the club currently offers uh, and getting clubs to be self-aware is probably the big thing so if we go into a, a, a local municipal nine-hole course actually getting them to understand what's success what are they trying to do you know it's not necessarily always a numbers game um, and then places like Woburn you know I'm not going to go in there and potentially tell them how to change their business model because they're a hugely successful golf club but I might be able to support them with uh, you know, safeguarding or something along those sorts of lines, maybe some governance changes that might have an impact. So it's uh, it's really just just more of a sounding board for, for golf clubs. To any sort of development needs they have, they can come to me, talk to me about what they would like to do, uh, and I can talk them through the process and how we might support them. So just sort of building on that then, Claps, for, for a lot of normal, certainly in the UK, kind of club golfers, people who play the game regularly, in England golf is probably something they see and don't, necessarily touch or have any interaction with mostly it's with their clubs and with their with their golf clubs themselves you know what is the actual stated aim with england golf how does that interact with other membership bodies like you know the pga the rna the other the other the other governing bodies that are around yeah so i mean all those governing bodies including england golf ultimately we're trying to grow the game we're trying to get more people playing more golf on a more regular basis and if we can do that then golf's in a healthier position I think probably sometimes from a golfer's perspective, we don't necessarily have that link to England golf. An, av an average club golfer might not understand A, England golf exists, or B, what, what do they do? Um, until recently, you know, a lot of golfers wouldn't necessarily be aware that they, every member or every member of an affiliated golf club gets insurance through England golf. So you have public liability insurance as part of your affiliation fees. So every every club golfer in the, in the country has uh, public liability insurance. So you're telling me if I spray one out of bounds and take out someone's car, I'm covered by England Golf. I'm telling you when you do that, Tom. Touche. It's only a matter of time, isn't it? So in terms of, I mean, you you work with a broad range of clubs from from the from the uh, sort of cheap and cheerful ones to the to the uber exclusive ones. 
what are the biggest challenges then you face? Is it is it harder to 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 get the point one percent out of the top clubs than it is to sort of improve one of the lower what you know the 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 cheap and cheerful ones by five percent? What 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 are the biggest challenges you come with day to day? I think probably the biggest challenges that I come across in my role is probably for those more um, more established clubs, getting them to understand that the, my role isn't to come in and tell them how to do their job because there are some really, really experienced, fantastic general managers out there and committee members doing a fantastic piece of work. I'm not there to come in and tell them to change what they're doing. I'm there to support them and potentially p- provide some guidance around some certain issues. I guess what you're saying is their challenge as a club is your challenge many in many ways and whatever that challenge might be. So, I mean, and, and I don't I don't think actually even really established golf clubs are, you know, I think it'd be naive to say the most established golf clubs are completely set. I think it's probably even the opposite picture in some some respects. So I guess you kind of, you know, you've got all sorts of things that you have to work with and manage with clubs on a different level. It's not just a case of their status in ranking or... Yeah, definitely. I th- yeah, absolutely. I think the clubs that are those established clubs that we that maybe we think don't need any support, those are the ones that are standing still. And society, the game, the membership, everyone's moving forward. And if you stand still, you'll get left behind. So those clubs that aren't thinking about the future necessarily, they're the ones that could, although they look fantastic now, could in 10, 15 years, you know, not be in a stronger position. So in terms of um, a day-to-day role, do you find the clubs uh, are coming to you or are you going to the clubs yourself? And in terms of the, are the clubs getting in contact with you, asking questions, or have you got to keep an eye on a remit of clubs? Or? Good, good question, Cal. I think it's a real mix. I think sometimes if, if clubs are, are proactive and aware of England golf, then they're really good at getting in contact and saying, you know, we've got this potential issue or we've got this on the horizon. What could, you know, what initiatives have you guys got? What could we work with you guys on and go, go down that process, which is great. And that's what we want. We want clubs to come to us and say, let's work together because that's what we want. We all, we're all working towards yep. the same goal. Um, I think the, the, the challenge is potentially making those clubs or, or other clubs aware of what the support that's there they're aware that there's actually what's available to them that's probably the biggest challenge for us because i'm having a random guess i'm thinking bbno what something towards maybe 100 clubs 109 109 109 oh, i only need to listen cal <laughs> i only need to listen and not, <laughs> sorry i was not uh, day, into daydreaming no, i think you were watching that was darren clark hole in one that was pretty good it's pretty good great 10 percent out but i suppose cal All would right. know that because he played bbno junior golf didn't you for a long period of time with was it joe pepperell eddie's brother yeah, well, yeah, obviously, um, yeah, you dropped that one in there. Um, <laughs> Can I just pick your keys? Let me just drop something. Yeah, I mean, they were um, <laughs> they were both pretty good, but uh, but yeah, no, certainly played um, played that for two, three years, and um, you'll probably see Cal around a lot of the clubs. I'm guessing you visit on the way um, clubs in terms of like honor boards. Probably see C wings sort of like dropped throughout a lot of the yeah. Yeah, I'll appear on a few random boards. Um, <laughs> most will see sort of CL wing as. Um, it's probably yeah the only Chinaman on tour that sort of guess thing. what my <laughs> new game is on club visits yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cal's name. but there'll be there'll be a little 2006 Oxfordshire match play champion there somewhere yeah wow. so, um, junior managed, under 12s that's about it I peaked there and then that was it that's a double clang I can't believe he's managed to get these in oh, uh, well 
Is this, like, a separate, is this a separate game within the pod so you can shoehorn in what you've done? Next episode, maybe we can recut some of this footage and do an interview on Cal and his experience in the so. game. I think that. we should just flip this around completely now. I'm on, on board of claps. But minor, minor point of order, just in Oxford, I'm guessing Hunter Coombe is a club that you look after. Yep. Yeah, so Hunter Coombe's actually got a fantastic on board while we're on the topic. So next time you're you there. You Seriously. You no, I'm not. Oh, am, right. I, am I hell? <laughs> So Hunter Coombe's got some really established names on there. People like Tim Henman and stuff who've won club championships. So I think next time you're there. Nice. Yeah, have a little check out. I think there's like three um, essentially British Open champions, but across across different sports or something like that. It's, a, it's an incredible stat. Awesome. So what, um, you know, speaking of Hunter Coombe and the, the types of clubs, you, what some of the good tracks you've seen that maybe you weren't, aware of before you went there that you've got to and thought oh, yeah this is this is pretty decent you know maybe some of the hidden gems or and things that you were impressed with even though you thought you were expecting something good yeah i mean obviously the, the woburn is a classic example of a club that's really well known you see it on the opens and things like that that are happening out there that, that the people are attending and they're well well televised well known and then there's a load of stuff, brilliant clubs out there that you've never heard of and every time I go to a golf club, I'm always thinking, wow, you know, I wish I had my sticks with me. or I wish I could have an extra few hours here to get out and play. Because I think every golf club is fantastic in its own right, in some way, shape or form. Um, and every club that is self-aware enough to put that their, their USP out there is probably doing pretty well. Um, but some of the examples I've been to that I've just been so impressed by, but Bearwood Lakes I went to recently, um, and that just knocked me for six, just walking around. Uh, the new practice facilities they've got there are fantastic. The layout of the course looks incredible. Um, so that's they've on, got on a the bit of a list. Mizuno HQ there going on, haven't they? They've got the um, behind the range. They've got the uh, Mizuno tour van. Is that right? And do the whole club fitting experience. It's, yeah, um, it's, the facilities are unreal. It's a serious setup yeah. down there. Yeah, it's um, yeah, def- definitely worth popping your popping your head in if you're in the area. Although I'd really recommend for any of our listeners who do go club fitting, I'd massively recommend manufacturer fitting. I think it's. I mean, amazing. I, I did the tightless fitting down in Cambridgeshire. Yeah, we did it. Um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Going with a manufacturer, you'd think you're zoning in on your options. I know we're going off slightly off topic here, but actually going to the manufacturer for a fitting is like it's like candy shop galore. It's incredible. So, clubs, in terms of the challenges then within those clubs, so, I mean, like, give us a sense. Are they all facing the same things? Are they all kind of... Does it feel very ubiquitous in terms of the the kind of stuff that they're dealing with, or do you feel you know? And, and what are those challenges? Is it membership numbers? Is it the junior game? Is it you know um, actually returning a better PNL? Are they finding people spending more or less money in the clubs? What, what what's the kind of issues? I think there's definitely some common challenges that a lot of clubs face. Um, the fact that membership numbers are probably declining slightly at the moment. Um, interestingly, I, I know that there's been some some facts thrown out there recently. Actual participation of golf is on the up, which is great. It's just how do we get those golfers to become members? And I think if all golf clubs are geared towards attracting new members, then then we're going to be in a really, really strong place as, as a sport. Um, I think some of the different differing challenges, um, certainly around secondary spend and PL and things like that, the average member over the course of a year is worth about, on average, £500 in secondary spend, which when you've got, 500 members is a big chunk of cash for a golf yeah, club. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think if people start looking or particularly committees and managers start looking at people or members as, you know, what they can offer as far as bottom line money at the end of the day, which is what what, what they're all there for, then 
absolutely. Then the, the, the recruitment of new new members and then retention of existing members is crucial. And, and you said at the start, you were like, you actually said like, our job here is to grow the game. So clearly that's a soundtrack that we're used to hearing as well a lot in terms of America, because we all probably watch the PGA on Sky Sports and that's a massive thing that's throughout the... They've got know, the, uh, yeah. the drive chip button all that. Yeah, so on, it's yeah. massive. So like, is there much learns? Is there much like participation with kind of, you know, the other side of the pond and kind of our friends in America? We've got a load of listeners in America and I guess... You know, I'd be interested to know kind of how that, whether there's any interaction with kind of US bodies in terms of that sort of stuff. So we, we work with both RNA and USGA as well. So there's definitely some shared learning. Actually, the, the, the challenges, whilst there's probably some commonalities in the UK, I think we have some pretty unique challenges, pretty specific challenges around aging membership, attracting new younger members into golf, particularly women and girls. Only 15% of members throughout the UK are, are female. Which is just an incredibly low number. Well, yeah. Which you know, when we look at other sports and and female participation, it's really grown, hasn't it? It's yeah, like, huge. It's a huge if, you thing. Look, if you look at football at the moment, women's football is having a massive boom. Yeah, you, you look in other parts of the world. Because I mean, like I don't know, shooting off the top of my hip here. I mean, the the quality of golfers in the in the LPGA from Korea and the Far East is just unreal. Like they've they seemingly got a, a complete stronghold on the game, and that. I don't know whether that's a byproduct of probably something 20 years ago where there's been a huge investment in the game. I don't know, but, you know, it does beg the question, I think. Well, it's it's a numbers game. When you've got that development pyramid, the the, the more you stack the bottom, the, the, the higher the numbers at the top. It's just, it's a numbers game. If you have loads and loads of young female players out there playing the game, then ultimately the top of your pyramid is going to be bigger. So speaking about young people, I mean, it's... Um it's not a, a bit of the game that I see a huge amount of with the junior junior golf. Is junior golf looking strong at the moment? Are you getting good participation numbers in, in junior golf? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Golf Foundation do some fantastic work and different formats for new new young players coming into the game. I mean, the Golf Sixes leagues that they run throughout the summer are fantastic for um, new players. So you have to either not have a handicap or have a handicap of 34 or above to take part. So it's literally new players into the game, had a series of coaching, and then go out and represent your club against other local clubs, which is fantastic. Six holes, it's simple, it's quick and easy. A lot of it's done on a Sunday afternoon with parents. It's fantastic. Fant- I mean, work. I think that's great. So I, I don't know. I, I was lucky. I, I played a lot of junior golf, so I got into it at a very young age. I'm looking across at Cal. I think you played golf as well. For sure. At a really young yeah, age. Yeah. My, my summers were spent, you know, a huge amount of junior open golf at, £10 a person with lunch provided and breakfast and a dinner and, you know, £5 given to me to buy as much Diet Coke and Snickers bars as I could get in down my throat in that day. And, you know, those were amazing. However, you know, not everyone is spending that amount of time on the golf course. And I think I don't recall there being that whole sort of golf sixes. I think that's a fantastic thing. I mean, what else is there out there in terms of juniors? Do you, do you feel the courses play to junior setups? Do you feel like... You know, are junior tees well promoted? Are they trying to... Do, do we make the go, the game almost prohibitive for a certain standard and a certain age group? I think I think the, the, the real quick answer to that, Sam, is yes. I think sometimes we do make it prohibitive. And the answer to, to me is really simple. You can move a tee to wherever you want the tee to be. You don't have to play off a tee. You're not playing to a certain yardage course for, for juniors. You can go and put put a couple of tee, tee markers down at the 150 and play in from there. There's, there's the solutions to it. And that's probably the biggest thing from, from me, for my role, is how many barriers can we remove for participation for people? Yeah. And if we can go into a club and offer a couple of solutions that might remove a few barriers and that result in 10 to 15 new members, then 
fantastic. I'm doing a great job. Yeah. So I obviously me and you we chatted earlier on about getting into the game quite late in life and and we didn't really go through the junior section. Someone once said to me that when they were have when you have a junior playing golf, one of the easiest ways to do it is just to let them peg it up for every shot. Is that something that gets promoted? Is that something that's or do, is that really really young golf where they can just tear it up? You know, take your shot, tear it up, take your shot, and just never going to breed ball strikers, are you? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know anything about it junior like golf. Flushes in the UK. <laughs> but, but again, we're talking about barriers. If a young person is struggling to get the ball off the deck and putting on a tee is a solution, then why not? Let that young person do that. Let them enjoy the game. Let them get the ball off the ground for the first time and have that feeling of hitting 100 yards. Have a putt for birdie. Yeah. Get, you know, get on greens, get pars. You know, like, it's just like make the game accessible. Make it feel like you're out there doing it like everyone else. Absolutely. Um, and we're doing a lot of work at the moment, particularly, like I said, around the women and girls game. Um, there's a new initiative uh, this year coming out called Women on Par where new female players can go out and um, play in competitions, but the competitions aren't necessarily about the scoring aspect. It's about challenges within the game. So can you hit a fairway? Tick. Here's a point. Fantastic. Can you get out of a bunker with one shot? Here's another point. Can you have a two pot on a green? That's another point. So just different ways of scoring, making the the actual outcome a I different can see outcome. Four people in this room that would get Mike zero off. points on that. <laughs> Mike off might not do so well. Sorry, with that type sorry, Clavs. I didn't mean to cross you. <laughs> no, not at all. So yeah, there's there's things like that. Just making the game more accessible, removing barriers, and you know we're all sat in here, and the game's hard enough for us at times. Imagine coming in for the first time, stepping out into the course and you're, you know, you're, you're surrounded by people who look like they know what they're doing, that maybe already play golf to a decent level and you're Very there for the deceiving. first time. Very well, deceiving. No, but I think there's a lot of regalia that goes with golf that makes it a more daunting experience first time you step out, right? Well, I was, I, Sam and I joined the same club at roughly the same time, and but I, I joined before you, distinctly joined before you, maybe a month or two, but it, well, there wasn't much in it. And I had to... I had to go up. I didn't know anybody at this club. And I had to find someone and walk up to them and ask them, like, look, I'm trying to get a handicap. Can I play with you? And, you know, they were playing a stable foot or something. And I was like, can I play with you? I'd never shot competitive round in my life. And I'm knocking yeah. around with these strangers and 120 shots. And you just feel really self-conscious, don't you? Horrifying. I think golfers at any level horrifying. feel self-conscious. But if it's your first experience of feeling that way... That is another blocker. I think once you, know. you get through it, once you get through those first rounds and accept mm. that... We're all different standards. We're all different. You know, there are always so, better people out there than you unless exactly. James Brooks or Rory. You know, there are always better golfers. But it's a great social game. Definitely. And I think one of the big things that we're looking at this year is uh, training uh, training buddies. So within a golf club, we're going to train a bunch <laughs> of volunteers of, of buddies who are going to go out and support those new members and be so instead of that instance you had there that had their time when you had to go and have that really awkward conversation with someone you didn't know for the first time how much easier would that have been if you had half a dozen people at the golf club whose numbers you had whose face were on a board that you could go and find and they'd come and find you even and say hi welcome to the club i'm going to take you out for your first round here's my number i'm going to go practice on thursday do you fancy coming with me and actually i'm going to pick you well, up as well life a lot easier yeah. how much easier would that have been so we've got a load of training at the moment around how we're going to work with our volunteer workforce of buddies um who are going to be out in golf clubs and supporting those new members and re again removing one of those barriers but i don't think it's ignorance i think i just don't think they think about it you know like oh a lot of clubs that they're established or, or whatever they're just thinking 
Um, oh, people join here, and if they join here, they must know some people and they can play some golf. They're not thinking about, oh, this guy might not know anybody and he might, you know, struggle to get a game. Well, it's like we've got that rule at our club where no one is left in the bar. Yeah. Sort of everyone will get a game. And, yeah, which, um, is, which is great. It should be inclusive. Roll up, no fixing, no, no one gets left in the bar. It's a great way of, of playing because it means you're going to play in front of new people every time. I remember, you know, when you first, the, the first time you try and swing in front of a stranger, you just turn into a, just, just turn stiff. You just don't know how to swing. And it, over time, with the more strangers you swing in front of, it just kind of gets more natural. But the idea of swinging a golf club in front of someone for the first time is quite daunting. And the, and the more barriers, like you say, that we can break down, the better. Definitely. And I think about the, that golf sixes approach for the juniors. Everyone's of a similar standard. Everyone's either not got a handicap or have got a handicap of 34 plus. So actually being around people of the similar standard is a massive removal of that barrier. Because if you're stood there with people that A, have all the gear, know what they're doing, hit the ball down the middle on their first tee shot, and then it's your go, that can be, that you, yeah. you know, that, that doesn't take a lot for, to turn someone off. Can I ask a, like, I mean, we talked, we touched on it last week. I actually don't think we did it justice because I think it was quite an interesting topic. The Martin Slumbers stuff that came out through the RNA in terms of golf clubs have not got their proposition right, that we're not offering something, and I, I kind of shut it down. I think I felt like it was basically a statement that was saying, here's the problem, guys, you're not doing your jobs properly. But it didn't say, well, actually, the golf's, the game's moving in this direction. This is the gap. This is what we should be offering. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a really interesting piece, and I, and I read it with great interest and, and sort of looked at it and thought, do you know what, what he's saying is bang on? But the the solution for me, Sam, is is really unique to golf club. So, you know, the the course down the down the road from here might have a completely different approach to those issues than another one down the road. I think clubs have to be self aware in the first instance to understand what their offer is, who are they attracting, what sort of members are going to come to this golf club, and that will be different from one golf from one club to the next. So. I think once clubs are self-aware enough to understand where they stand and what their offer is, then you can start developing the different offers and bits and pieces around that that will attract those members. Well, it's interesting you, you touched on the uh, the golf sixes with the juniors, which is obviously golf sixes is becoming a you know pretty big deal and they're starting to focus a little bit on it. Um, if you think about what what cricket have managed to do with sort of the way they've reinvented the game from Test match cricket down to the one day, and now they've gone down to. 2020 cricket and it's you know it's, there's it's another really, one coming as well yeah yeah the hundred ball and it's you know the old quick cricket well they were you know <laughs> there are the the cricket enthusiasts that would look at you and say well test cricket that's it it's proper five day event um i think a lot of golf enthusiasts might say you know i'm not interested in in six holes of golf i want 72 holes of golf and four days and do you think that it's ever going to be taken seriously the golf sixes in the program I, I think it absolutely will be. I think in the same way that if those people want to go out and play 72 holes, then brilliant, the offer's there. There's an option to do that already. But at the moment, if I want to go out and play in a competitive six-hole competition or nine-hole competition, mm. I can't do that. So I think naturally the offer has to evolve with the needs of the, of the participant. And if that participant needs change, then the offer has to evolve with it. People are increasingly time-pressured, aren't they? So I think, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a guy that can always do with more golf. So I would happily play on my lunch break for 45 minutes in a format that was geared up in and around near where I work. I'm not saying that's one geographically possible, but 
or, 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 or two, you know, going to be approved by my boss. I actually, <laughs> I do, however, think if, if there was something where you could enjoy golf on whatever standard in 40, 45 minutes, you know, I don't know what that would look like, whether that would look like kind of cordoned off six hole par three contest where you no, connect no, no, a sandwich no, no, no. and a putter and it's completely municipal and it's five pound and you'd go and can have I, fun. Can I just jump in? Um, and this is, this is something I don't know the answer to. Um, the new world handicap system, would it allow for six hole golf? So for the world handicap system, it has to be nine hole minimum. Nine hole minimum. So you so can go out and play in a nine hole competition and that will impact on your new. On you your couldn't handicap. play a six hole golf sixes and, and put something in. Not at the moment, no. no. Um, I just wanted to pick your brains on something I haven't quite got my head around yet. Um, probably my own fault. I just haven't, haven't really dived into um, to reading all about it. The new handicap system. WHS, World Handicap Ooh, System. Yeah. Coming soon to you. So, November. So what's I hear I hear words like slope. What does that mean? So slope rating is the rating that each course will be at give, will be given. Um, is that kind of similar to the um like the course standard scratch that we have? Yes, yeah, similar. But the thing with standard scratch at the moment is that's based on the scratch player. What the slope rating will do will allow for different handicaps. Okay, and that will therefore actually have a rating that is relevant to everyone. This is the rating that goes up to like 130 odd, 106, 140 odd. That's right, 130 sort of average. And yeah, it's the okay. rating based on um, on the course you play at. For Correct. Example. Yeah. So you, each course will have a slope rating. So what will happen is your handicap index will travel with you to each course you play, and based on the slope rating of that course, your handicap for that day may be increased or decreased depending on what your handicap index is versus the slope rating. So it's a bit of a multiplier or that sort of thing. Exactly that. It's very similar. If people have played in Europe, it's very similar to what they have over there already. You'll turn up and there'll be a board at the first tee and it will tell you, based on your handicap, how many shots you get on that course. In fact, if you think about it, scratch players already have this because not all golf courses are a par 72. You get par 71, par Mm. 73. So it's exactly the same as a scratch player currently yeah, gets. just models it for handicapped players that are higher, you know, where there's more deviation perhaps. And yeah. Exactly that, exactly that. And it takes into account for a handicapped player or a, a, a player that's playing to, to for playing bogey golf, where they will hit the ball. And actually where they hit the ball will bring in different things, different parts of the course. So a scratch player, you know, Tom and I were talking today on, on a hole that we were playing at. Actually, for a scratch player, the bunkers that we were very much aware of just aren't even in play. But it's nothing. really formulaic how it's calculated, if I understand right. So the people that go out and provide slopings, particularly courses like the UK where they're needing to do slope ratings, it's quite formulaic. This isn't what happens. What they don't do is send two people out from an association who play a golf course and then come off and go, that feel tough to you? That felt like a 135. This is based on bunker positioning, fairway, angles of attack, different options, routings off the tee, trouble, hazards, etc. right? Exactly that, yeah. It's, it's measured, It's like I say, it's based on where people are likely to go, what different parts of the course that will bring in and how difficult the course will be on that basis. And something I hear a lot is um, that when the new handicap system comes in, every single time I play nine holes or 18 holes, that affects my handicap, is that... No. So that was a myth that was being thrown around at one point that every single time you went out on the course, you had to hand your score in. It's not the case. Um, But what the new handicap system is going to be is a more accurate reflection of your current golfing ability rather than your potential, which is what the current system is. So when WHS comes in in November, 
every qualifying competition just like it does now will go towards your handicap but you're also able to put cards in in the exact same way you can add a supplementary score at the moment um, and that will go towards your towards your handicap index i think the big shift change is we're going to encourage people to get scorecards in more often so actually your handicap index is reflective of your current form rather than something that people protect and maybe play their minimum five rounds a year that keeps their handicap at at, at eight but they haven't played to eight since 1990 so this might be another myth but i've heard um something like it sort of rotates on your last 20 rounds or it's based on your last 20 rounds is that true or yeah so it would be the average of your best eight from the last 20 so yeah what will happen is the last 20 scores that you input, the best eight of those scores, the average will be taken and that'll be your handicap index. So what's really nice is that you won't get 0.1 every time you have a bad round. Only the, You only have to worry about your best eight. Otherwise, it just falls into your, your, your bad 12, if you will. Okay, cool. So if you um, are saying that um, it's more of a reflection of um, where the golfer is and their potential, is that is there sort of an inbuilt assumption that most hand, most average golfers handicaps will increase not necessarily because actually if people have been playing a lot of golf anyway and playing in regular qualifying competitions then their handicap won't have a massive shift i think essentially if you're a category one golfer the chance of your handicap changing much is pretty limited because as a category one golfer you're probably hitting your handicap or there or thereabouts most of the time anyway if you're a category two golfer then maybe that might differ slightly you might be a might go up 0.1, 0.2 every now and then. Um, I think probably the big shift changes we'll see are those handy, those higher handicapper players that may see three or four shots difference. I just think there's a, so much vanity around handicap. I think it's an odd one. Like I'm I a single know. figure handicapper. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Well, you, the first thing Tom said on the party, you go back to our party. Everyone episode, needs to know. You know, I'm a single figure handicapper, and it, it, it's just I, even if you talk to somebody who's not a golfer, what's the first question they ask you? What do you play off? There you go. Every time. And there's so much vanity associated with it. And I think that this will probably help it, make it more of a universal statement. Well, people will never, people will st- always still obsess over the number that qualifies their existence in golf, right? I, th- I think we'll always have that. We'll always have people that want to have the lower handicap because that in some way shows off how great they are or in actual fact if you haven't been that great for a really long time you're doing yourself a disservice every time you step out on the course but, but i also think then the other parts i've read about this is also gives i guess less frequent players the ability to hold a handicap as well exactly that so even if you don't have 20 um scorecards over the last two years there's a uh, there's a formula that will allow you to um, still have a handicap based on a sliding scale from five seven nine um, scorecards okay because so i was going to jump in and say you know when when you started it's you've got to put in three cards and then they do some sort of magic and they tell you how, how good you are from your three cards is that going to be the minimum amount you can you can play now to get a handicap yeah so you can still put three cards in and get a uh, handicap index the magic will still be there tom don't worry we're not taking Christ, the magic away the from, the, uh, from yeah, the handicap set. I just really don't want that Fingernails on a mirror for Tom on single figures. He's clutching onto it at the moment. I am, I'm, I've, I've done, since we, I, I rinsed Sam on calculating his, his handicap, Ooh. I've gone back and had a little look at what's going to happen to me. And well, You're going to go up or down? I feel I'm going to be the dreaded double dig. No, really? I think so. Because I had one of those exceptional score reductions, which obviously won't matter. Yeah, that's the thing. That's back to Claps' point there, that it, 
it the it prices in your potential, not your reality. But I, I actually disagree. I'm really surprised at that because I, well, I buffer. Go- I buffer a lot, but I don't. I don't hit under the handicap. A well, lot. the good the good news is you got till November, so get out of the summer, go low, chop chop, go low. The problem is I don't go low that often. <laughs> if you I believe think, you have it, then I you come have back it, and so. say, well, if I'd not a three per that, then that would have been yeah yeah I could have got this. This is literally turning into golf therapy, isn't it? <laughs> you're in a safe, but you're in the trust tree, Tom. In the trust tree. <laughs> anyway, um, so we we touched on um, golf sixes, and we've touched on what's going on. You're um you're going to compete in a in a cheeky golf sixes event, aren't you? Yeah, so I'm very lucky that uh, myself and a friend are going to be playing down at Centurion at the end of March. <laughs> Centurion is be okay, isn't it? It's supposed to be a pretty nice track. It's supposed to be nice. Is so it true? To it. Is it true? It's called Centurion because it has a hundred members. I believe so, yeah. Or a hundred uh, debenture holders, or however they want to want to want to pitch it. But yeah, there's only a hundred people allowed to play there regularly. We'll be tuning in and looking out for you. Is it being televised? I hope, not. I hope not. Based on based on my swing, that would be embarrassing. Sky. Are you are you coming out on the sort of fireworks launching? You're coming running down the steps. What are you coming out to? Are I might I might have to bring, to my, own, bring my own fireworks and music. I don't think they're going to provide that for me in the uh, the lowly lowly event I'm in. <laughs> So that's pretty cool about Centurion. So what happens if uh, if you are lucky enough to win that? So if me and my partner are lucky enough to win, then we get to go and represent England in Portugal in the international golf sixes. So how does that work? Because they have the professional event. How, do they have an amateur event that just ties onto it? Or? Yeah, exactly that. So the amateur event runs uh, just before it. Um, and it's exactly the same format. And then different uh, national teams are going to come over and play. Um, and everyone will have a qualifier in their home country. And the winners will come out and represent their country. So it's, uh, yeah, pretty exciting. And that was Atavos Dunes, is it? In, in near Cascais in Portugal? I think so, yep. Uh, you, that's a decent track. You played there, didn't you, last year? That's a, that looks quite good, this to is be fair, on TV. Like, yeah, I have played that, yeah. Yeah, the Tom has not played every track in the world. But <laughs> I'm not setting it. up tracks. But he seems played, to gravitate played, yeah. to major holiday destinations for. I just, I just play major golf. championship courses. Past seven, look really over. good on TV. It's, it's our boss. Um, look really, no, really good. It's an absolutely mint track. And actually, so if, if if you know anyone who's played a lot of Portugal golf, um, typically what happens is you go out there and then want to slit your wrist for five hours because it just takes forever. Um, but we actually managed to. Um, we we got like a nine o'clock tee off at. I could Octavius. It's not Octavius, but Otavus Junior. Otavus. And we smashed around like three hours, and it's really, really good track. I was going to say you got to be about nine thirty latest, yeah. early tea time, early bird gets the, the better. Early then the scoops better. after, just chop pints. There's nothing better than an early round and just sort of setting in for a session uh, when you go abroad do some golf. Exactly. So um, claps heading into players next weekend. I think we got Masters April. We're getting into the major season. Yeah, I'm guessing you follow the follow the PGA Tour fairly closely. I do. What, yeah, who, who's your picks it. for this year? Who's going to stand out? Well, McIlroy's just been so consistent. Like this is, he just looks like he's there or thereabouts every week, and I just think he can't look too far outside of him. Ram looks so good as well. Um, You've got to fancy are, one of them at least. One of those. Two, I think if you had a bet at the start of the year and said. Ram will win a major. I think that'd be a pretty decent shout. If I was going to take, if I was going to take you off the top five in the world for a major, where they're statistically most likely to win a major, who, who would be your sort of like left field picks? Who'd be coming in at sort of like I don't know for your U.S. Open on a tricked up course or a, or, or a British Open, perhaps? Well, 
I think Fleetwood obviously last week looks so so solid at times. Before Azinger called him a choker. Before that happened, you can win willy nilly on the European chart. Well, we talked about that last week, didn't we? And that was just. You just, got to. Apparently, doesn't it doesn't count if it's well, in Europe. You can, you can win whenever you want in Europe. That's not a problem. But I think, think we all do, don't we? Let's not let's not dig up that grave again. But that was shit chat. Yeah, I, I just think Fleetwood looks so good at the moment as well. Um, so we'd love to see him do something, and it'd be so nice for him to turn around and uh, stick two fingers up to Azinger and say, "We'll see you in September for the Ryder Cup as well, chap." Well, he's got a great year Ryder Cup form as well. That's one thing that's come around so quickly is the Ryder Cup. I can't no. believe it's September. It's insane. Where are we? It's exciting. Um, in America? <laughs> what? No, yeah, yeah. We're in, in um, Straits. Yeah, Whistling Whistling Straits. Yeah. Well, so Bruce came out with a um, Westwood for a major this year. Looking steady. Well, I, think, I think I echoed that. I actually, I think we said that Rawson George's historically has produced some, well, first class major, major winners, but more recently as well, not that Darren Clark isn't, but he was not picked to win the open that year i mean that he'd have been he'd have been right down the list yeah um and I, I don't know we all just seem to think that westwood just seems to be really on form at the moment and and, and going nicely so I, I i do think the uh i think the major's going to be great this year i think um i think like you say mackerel is coming in absolutely with a white white heat behind him yeah. um but i really fancy a few sort of also rounds to win, if you can call them that, people outside of that. I think this is the longest stretch we've gone in major championship history where top 50 player has always won a major. So oh. we are we are now statistically well overdue. Uh, I, I think it goes back years since we've had someone outside the top 50 who's won a major. So I'm just convinced that um, that's going to happen. So wow. that's interesting. What, what was your take on, um, I don't know, Reed Gay? What was the, what was the read on that? Uh, you know, Patrick Reed's one of those players, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Whenever I watch him, I, I never will a golfer to do badly, but I just couldn't care less if he won or not. And I think there's a point where it was Reed or Deschambeau that were going to win, and I've just never wanted two golfers to win less than those two. Just something unlikable about both of them for yeah, me. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but um, I think the whole thing around you know Reed Gate it, it dragged on for so long. I think it's just had a massive hangover, and I. And I, I I can believe exactly why he's getting called on it because I think the it's just unbelievable what he did and the fact that it's just not been addressed. I think that's kind of yeah. I mean, it just it's just been a massive hangover in the game, hasn't it? So yeah, and I think there are, there are certain parts of our game that are so important, and when that sort of thing happens, then you know people are going to call them out, and rightly so. Right, in terms of um, jumping ship onto another topic, how's the uh, the next week looking? What have you got day to day? So, got a pretty cool week the next week, couple of weeks. So, got a uh, national club sport officer meeting um, coming up tomorrow. So, we're all going to get together and talk about things that are happening locally, uh, club club support that we've been that we've been focusing on, different challenges, different models of good practice, that sort of thing. So, that's been a pretty cool conversation tomorrow. Um, and then leading into the weekend, I'm going to try and get out in the wind and the rain and uh, get the sticks out and see if I can uh, maybe beat Mills again. Uh, if that's a, that's an option. Yeah. That might yeah, happen. That was one time. Might happen. Just one time. That was one time. You heard it here first. So def- yeah, definitely going to get out and play. Um, and then next week, I've uh, got a few club meetings. Um, safeguarding and safe golf on you. Uh, safeguarding accreditation is a huge point of thing, uh, point of reference for us this week, this year. Um, so that's going to be a big thing. And where's sort of HQ? Where's, um, if you're checking into um, England Golf, I know they've got um, 
Uh, HQ is down in Woodall. Woodall Spa. Woodall Spa. Yeah, so Woodall Spa. What a place. Incredible. So nice. Such a good track. Um, yeah, so we'll try and get a game there this summer, definitely. Um, but yeah, that's 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 HQ. That's the National HQ. But for me, because I'm out in the field, based at home in sunny Buckinghamshire, so I'll get out, um, try and get out to sort of four or five different golf clubs each week. Um, so that's what we'll try and do the next week or Sounds two. Tough. Can I just ask about Woodall quickly? A massive renovation there, I've heard, fairly recently, last two years, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, have you been down yeah, I uh, yeah went down there with a few boys. That would have been October 2018. Lincoln, um, isn't it? I think it's the Hodgkin course, which is yeah. the um, which is a phenomenal track. It's beautiful, amazing, amazing. Um, well worth around. And then they've got I can't remember the name of the second course, but Bracken, Bracken, and that's um, it's still great. It's a little bit more fun, a little bit more yeah. forgiving. Um, Obviously a lot newer, but it's um it's brilliant. It's still that's just offers a completely different challenge. It's a massive contrast between the two of them. Yeah. Um, but great fun and the clubhouse is brilliant and um they've got accommodation on site and little dormy rooms and everybody loves a dormy room. Brilliant. And then you you, you sort of go to their range and that's where they really home on on the elite sort of England yeah, teams the and they've got gym on the range, they've got everything. Yeah, the practice facilities there are unreal. The uh, the range is fantastic. They've got the indoor putting studio with the movable greens and all that sort That's of right, stuff. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and the short game area out, um, the Tavistock short game area, is uh, is really really cool. Well, it sounds like you don't really have an excuse for the for not lowering the handicap this year, clamps. And with the resources around you, I mean, it really, England golf are doing everything to get you down to sort of category one as as we can we can hope for, really. Yeah, hopefully at some point soon I'll get on a little run and get some good school cards in. Um, yeah, hopefully before November as well on WHS. Where are you looking to get your golf? What's what's come on? Where, where where do you want it to be in the next couple of months? Next couple of years. So for me, I'm desperate to get down a few more shots because I think where that's are you where currently? My game Have we touched this? Where are you currently? Twelve. Okay. So you know, bang average, but. Um, I'm the 12 handicapper that can shoot four over or shoot 24 over. And that's the, uh, that's the challenge. Considering you play rugby for like the last 20 years, then um, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's okay. It's um, there's definite room for improvements. Um, I think the big thing, because I've got a coach education background from rugby as well. So I'm really into sort of how people learn and how people get taught new skills and that sort of stuff. So the whole like gamification of learning. So making learning a game. So if I'm out on the range, I won't just hit a bucket of balls. I'll make it a game and I'll make it different challenges. It will have consequences. It will have progressions. It will have regressions depending on how the session's going. Um, I think that's a really cool and interesting way of making, making golf practice more fun. Um, which for me is huge. On, on the rugby training side of things, obviously it's all about strength and whatever else. And um, have you found that you've had to sort of improve flexibility and whatever else for golf? Have you found a bit of a difference with that? Or are you still weight training and everything else that you were doing for rugby? Or Do you know what? I'm not at the moment. I had a... Uh, I had an so AC- carrying a bit of holiday weight. <laughs> <laughs> Double ACL. <laughs> I did. I, I I had I had the old ACL injury last year, so I'm still won the US Open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you know, rugby injuries aside, it's not had a huge impact on on my golf game. Um, definitely, I think you can improve improve your flexibility. I mean, you know, been being up for twenty years, I think that's a that's a definite bonus. Well, we really enjoyed it, and, and thank you so much for coming on the pod, 
Claps, it's been uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Appreciate your time. Yeah. It's been awesome being on. Thanks, guys. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Claps. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, guys. Watch this.